Hello, and welcome to Surroundscapes, an audio and video podcast series featuring a diverse collection of interviews with thought leaders from around the world, addressing the general subject of the future of business. This content is curated by Blue Sound Professional and focuses on the role of the oral and visual senses in creating unique, delightful and compelling experiences to stimulate business. This second series of Surroundscapes is focused on the future of the workplace. And for this episode, I'd really like to welcome an old friend of mine, Craig Jansen, the principal of Edibri Consultants. I think Craig is one of the best thinkers in our industry, and I really want to hear his perspective on the future of the workplace. So, hi, hi, Craig. Graham, thank you. Thanks for the honor of giving me this opportunity to, to chat to you. Looking forward to it. Excellent. Me too. So to start with, can you give us a little bit of a background of yourself and your history and then go on to talk about the foundation of Vidibri? Sure. So to start with right away, the accent. Uh, I was born in Zambia and then raised mostly in South Africa. And I've lived here in Texas now for, uh, I'm in Dallas at the moment. I've lived here for, gosh, 25 plus years. So the accent is a little confused. Uh, nonetheless, primarily a Southern African accent is what everyone is hearing. Um, moved here to the US, or actually back up from there. I trained as an engineer, mechanical engineer in particular, uh, but I was a musician on the side. And at a certain point decided that doing traditional mechanical engineering wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and so I started doing sound and lighting and video for concerts, actually initially playing and then transitioning over to the operations side and turned that into a, into a career, um, moved to the United States, gosh, nearly, um, nearly 30 years ago and moved relatively quickly into consulting, which is the design. My, my, my passion is to solve problems, help people and solve problems. So I'm engaged with with a, a wicked problem that needs to uh, be navigated to come up with a, a, a solution. And in my area of expertise, fits primarily in the areas of technology, that's sound, lighting, video, data security type systems, acoustics, and theater design. Um, but my real motivation is actually finding opportunities, particularly when people are gathered together for collaboration and connection, create ex- places of experience, things of that nature. So. Uh, I, I'm, I'm the president of IDBRI. Um, we have a team of us of 25, a highly specialized work that we do. The vast majority of the work, about 70% of our work, is in public assembly spaces, particularly large public assembly spaces, everything from performing arts to large churches to stadiums to concert halls, um, concert venues, entertainment venues. We also do a lot of hospitality and corporate work and residential work increasingly, which it was a little unexpected. I'll pause with that. Um, I've been long been impressed by the way you think about um, the job that you do. During my time at Biamp, we had you in to speak uh, at our distributor conference. And you've also, I think you're the only member of the AV, pro AV industry, certainly that I know of, that's done a TED Talk. And one of the subjects that you talked about that that is interesting to me is the fact that the AV industry was producing equipment and designing systems for presentations in an era where 
people are working collaboratively. So we were kind of answering the wrong questions. Hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Let me see if I, I can I'll say that succinctly. The, the history of human communication is highly oral and it's highly collaborative and it's highly connected, uh, meaning that even major decisions at a national level were done in small groups. And most of that is because technology didn't make it possible for people to get together in large groups. You couldn't have a concert of a thousand people. You couldn't have a political rally of a thousand people and communicate with them. There was almost no way to do it, notwithstanding some unique conditions um, where it was very quiet and you could put people in an amphitheater and they could be heard. But in the, broad, the broadest level is uh, once you got up a, more than 500 people or so, you really couldn't communicate. So we're talking about millennia of people connecting on a one-on-one -on -one basis or in small groups and communicating. So all communication methodology was based on that, that simple reality is that there was no technology to amplify you. So we hit in the early 19, um, you know, 1900, uh, you know, 1905, 1910, you're somewhere in that region. And we start getting radio, we start getting public address systems, and and the world just goes crazy with the capacity now to communicate to large groups of people. And we build the strong muscle over the next 50 years or more of being able to project a given message to a larger group. The ramifications of that is collaboration dropped, but presentation increased. And so the great speech makers of the world uh, rose up during that time for good and ill. Um, I mean, you could listen to Hitler's use a sound system. If Hitler didn't have a sound system, life would have been a lot more difficult for him to promote his, his wares. So, you know, for, for very evil purposes and then fantastic uh, you know, purpose, Martin Luther King, I have, a, I have a vision speech, all again amplified. So this becomes embedded in the model of how we communicate as a culture, almost internationally, but certainly in the Western world. And then we move forward uh, much more recently when we hit the internet well, the internet democratizes communication. Instead of one way, I have a message to say, I'm prepared to say it, and you need to sit in your seat and hear it, which has really been the model for everything from education to entertainment um, to, to uh, corporate settings uh, for literally decades. Now, all of a sudden, I can get information from wherever I want it, at the time I want it, and I can communicate with anyone um, regardless of, of geographical boundaries. So communication suddenly goes horizontal instead of from the stage, if you will, out to an audience. Um, and the, the, the tension of that for communities are huge because most of our corporations have been built on a historical model that are very hierarchical. And all of a sudden, the technology allows us to be highly collaborative, highly connected, random, non-linear, and people start learning those muscles, particularly the younger people. And that, that's a key factor. And so leadership has battled in the last, let's say, two decades, maybe three, but certainly the last two of nearly every organization to move from being hierarchical to being connected and collaborated. And, and technology has enabled that. Um, and it's not purely a technology thing, but the, the cause and effect of technology and culture shift are inextricably interlinked. Um, and we know that even back through the through uh, the Reformation, when 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 the, the Gutenberg press starts printing the Bible, it changed the world. So technology shifts the game, 
and in general, systems from government to corporations, uh, in, in many cases, educations as well, lag the reality of where culture currently is in their communication methodologies. And that was the essence of, of what I spoke at, at TEDx, was how do, we, how do we readdress the world? And specifically, it's demoting the power of the microphone and promoting the power of horizontal and or bi-directional communication between, between people and a responsiveness back to leaders. And so we're seeing a massive shift in the way leaders lead, the uh, way corporations operate, um, the way entertainment is given. And I will say, by the way, entertainment is one of the better groups, you know, more of an improvisation, improvisational uh, comedy, for example, is really the model for how many businesses are now operating. The, the leaders who are the most skilled on the stage are the ones who are able to respond most rapidly to the audience. But the audience dictates the subject, not the performer on the stage. And so if you take that metaphor, we're seeing a lot of that bridging into, uh, in particular, corporate settings, but not just corporate settings in, in, in communication in general. I'm going to pause with that because I'll, I'll keep on going and dig, dig a deeper hole in the rabbit hole. <laughs> no, that's great, Craig. And there's there's so many subjects there that I want to uh, to build on. I I wanted to comment first of all when you were talking about the the age of the great orator um, in the last fifty years, and now kind of going into um, a more collaborative way of doing things. It reminded me of of something kind of parallel to this, which is music making and monetizing. And for years and years and years, live performance was the only way of making money out of music and selling sheet music. And then there was recorded music. And for a, a decent period of time, musicians made most of their money recording music and, and selling that uh, recorded music. And now we're moving into a democratized time where that's no longer a tenable um, revenue model or not in the conventional sense. And it kind of struck me that parallel where there was that period of time where you you could record music just as that period of time where you could give these great speeches. And that's a series that we're doing uh, later on, but, but it was a kind of interesting parallel. Any thoughts on that one? Yes. I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I, I grew up in the, in the, the age of LPs and, um, and of course, it's fun to watch the resurgence of of LPs and turntables coming coming back to play, and 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 I think a lot of that is some measure of nostalgia, but also the storytelling component, which is to say that that albums were always put together, uh, the better ones at least, uh, to tell a story. And so the sequence of the tracks, the, the the layouts. I mean, there were some commercial reasons for it, but but typically, if you sat and you listened to an LP, you listened to the entire LP. And so this was a story that the band was telling you. So I remember when we went digital and uh, Napster and other came along and, and, and the huge uproar in the industry, first that music was being stolen, which was probably a fair, a fair comment. But mm-hmm. secondly, that their vision and their storytelling capacity was now being chopped up, dissected and rearranged by the viewer, by the listener. And um, that's, uh, that's, again, another metaphor for, for where we live today. Um, you, you really can't tell the story the way you want to tell it unless you can be engaging with the audience to the extent that they follow along, feel like they have a sense of control of the process, can participate, 
and you can be responsive to the direction they want to go. That is a very different process from a technological point of view, by the way. It requires very different technology. But the that 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 analogy from where LPs were to where they are now, I can order my music in any order that I want and do. Uh, I can jump between genres. And none of the artists planned on that. Now, we don't hear people complaining about that anymore. We've already made that shift to personalization of the end user rules the game, not the creator. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's definitely true. Um, I It's interesting during this, this lockdown time because I still listen to LPs and uh, it's been kind of something that's got me through um, some of music, certainly, and, and the, the process of listening to LPs has been immensely comforting to me. And there's another element uh, to an LP uh, as well as the story. It's it's kind of the ritual of the thing, the, the getting it out, the cleaning it. Um, and that's that's kind of one of life's tiny little rituals that, that is uh, a nice thing to do. Um, you... When we were talking before this, uh, before the podcast started, um, Idibri, and I'm sorry for mispronouncing it earlier, but Idibri um, does work in a lot of different sectors uh, of the market, as you outlined at the beginning. And you were commenting earlier on that a lot of what you're seeing now, uh, particularly through this pandemic, is shared between the different uh, types of customers that you serve. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, the, the genesis for, for the comment that I made to you is the conversations that I'm having with a range of, of client types from, uh, from corporate to um, education to worship markets to sports markets. And the, the commonality of, of that thread is, is is very similar. Historically, I mean, most companies do this. You know, you have a if you have a market thrust, and I'm going to pick sports for example, you don't tell the sports people that you're very good in corporate or you're very good in hospitality because they don't care. So mm-hmm. you target your message to to the work. They they want to know: Have you worked with people that look like me? Um, because it's important that you understand you know, our, our genre of our work uh, and so forth. What we're finding now is that firstly, the storylines, the needs, the concerns, the fears, the, the aspirations across all of our marketplaces are much more similar. And I've been trying to grapple why that is. And I, I think that in crisis, we generate a unified view of the world. Um, and so just, you know, not, you know, not pushing aside some of the conflict we, we see in the politics at the moment and the tension and that. In reality, what's happened to COVID has drawn people together. We're much more human. We're much more transparent. And we know this because you can sit and watch on, on a Zoom call people with their, their kids in their lap, their dogs in the room, um, distractions. I, I always seem to have a Tuesday morning uh, important Zoom call when the landscapers arrive at my house with <laughs> weed weapons. Mm-hmm. And I uh, have to navigate. So everyone is accepting the reality of our lives. That is now permeating across all of these other marketplaces. If you can't go to a movie or go to a drama or go to church, you also can't go to sports. It's all one audience. Um, So those things are much more integrated. And I think that's very much to the positive. I Mm -hmm. think where the 
developing vocabulary uh, as consumers that is much more united across that 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 bridge. Actually, it just occurred to me, I may be one of the few people doing a podcast saying the world is getting better and not worse. Um, <laughs> and 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 hope I believe that after the after the podcast. But I I I think anytime you have conflict in your life, it builds new, stronger muscles, and that's what's happening in a marketplace. Yeah, I, I certainly agree with that. And I think in times of adversity, there is always opportunity as well in times of crisis. And it's important to to uh, look at that. I mean, we're recording this at the very beginning of October. And as you and I were talking about before we started, it's likely to get um, kind of darker, actually darker as the winter pulls in, but also it, where I am in Portland, this is always a difficult time of the year because you go into six months of kind of gray and rainy weather um, and being stuck inside is is tough in that respect. However, there are plenty of good things happening. And as, as you say, you're seeing, I think you're seeing um, the true unvarnished side of people. So they're good and they're bad. And, and I believe in life that most people are good. And that means that you're seeing the good in people. And, you know, I see examples of that every day. Uh, you were talking earlier on about um, moving to a more kind of flat um, hierarchy, if you like, within the workplace and corporations. How does that play in to what is currently a basically a work from home kind of kind of um, culture has that has that helped that that's a really good question I, I I think it has the um we've all had to learn new communication skills in this in this in the zoom world or teams world or pick your product of choice and it's hugely democratizing if I am doing a call with 20 people um let's say zoom and I do the gallery view, and I've got all 20 faces looking at me. If I want to command attention, I can't do it the way I would do in a conference room, which is to stand up, lean forward, do some other physical uh, signal that it's time for me, that I am now going to exert some level of dominance on the space. That is much harder to do um, in a digital world where you're all exactly the same size on the screen, and the best thing you can do is get better sound and better lighting, but that's about as good as it's going to get. Because if you get too close to the camera, you just look goofy. So, <laughs> so the the that is forcing us to develop better listening skills because we can't run over each other. We're having to pause. We're having to marshal our thoughts in, for the most part, at least. I mean, I've certainly sat in calls where I'm going, no one was marshaling their thoughts and no one was pausing. But for the most part, we've now built this interesting rhythm that is heavily democratized, meaning that if you're going to say something to that group and claim the space, you need to have something of significance to say. Um, or people will literally, literally <laughs> log off. And uh, you don't get that in the physical setting. Most people don't get up in the middle of a presentation and walk out, but they do it all the time in Zoom. So I, again, I think it's raising our the demand for our competency of communication for intentionality of messaging and for our skills 
um, as, as you know, I find, for example, on Zoom now, I have to smile more intentionally if I want to communicate uh, warmth. Because otherwise, I sit there with my eyes down looking at this, you know, at the at the table in front of me with a frown on my face. And I've never had to think about that in public meetings. So there's a there's a whole play that comes out of that framework that I've just I've just set there, but I'll 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 take a pause. Sure. That and and that's those are really interesting observations. Certainly this this process of kind of a um a one-way conversation, uh, the the ebb and flow of a conversation, often the bandwidth doesn't allow talking over. So it's interesting the way that in, in many instances, not all, um, but in many instances, people have become more disciplined at listening and, and talking and staying quiet. One of the other things that's happened is that almost every corporation has come to terms with the fact that people can be productive working from home. Even, even companies that previously had insisted people come into the office. And I don't think that's a genie you can put back into the bottle, totally at least. How do you think it's going to play out as, as it's safe for people, some or all of the people, to come back into offices? Yeah, a couple of, a couple of the thoughts. And some of them are structural and some of them are then consequential. The, the structural is that um, certainly in the last six months, we've compressed five years of digital experience uh, into the six months, meaning that six months ago, I know lots of people who didn't know how to turn the cameras on. At the moment, uh, I, I don't think you can be alive and not know how to turn your camera on. So there is a not only democratization, but a leveling of the field in terms of generational usage of technology and in terms of the resistance to using technology. So what we're going to do is come out of COVID with a set of muscles, communication muscles, and this kind of muscle memory, if you will, of communication that that's not going to change. It's not going to disappear. Even if we can meet together at will, we still have these muscles. That's a very, very good thing. For business, it's a very, very good thing for, uh, obviously, people who develop technologies. I mean, you see which stocks are doing well and which aren't. Um, and so that, that foundation plays itself out into, you know, structurally, what is the consequences? Well, the consequences now are a high degree of efficiency of the communication that's geographically insensitive. Um, the, the, your competency will count more in the future and does now than your location. That's a big, big, big deal. So what we tended to do is have a department and the department is physically co-located because they want to have teaming, they want to have focus, time, um, and some collaborative issues. What we have now is we've learned how to do all of those more efficiently. Microsoft Teams is taking over the world for example, uh, like it or not, we're a Teams office and we're using more and more of it. Um, <clears throat> it doesn't matter whether I'm in one of, you know, which of our four offices we're in, it doesn't matter. There, there is no geographical centrality to it. Whew, that was a very long intro to say that I think that the vast majority of companies uh, are going to chase the dollar. Um, whoever comes out of this, we're going to come out leaner and tighter, more efficient. 
if you employ practices that aren't or reduce your efficiency, you're going to go out of business. So I think what that means is more choices for people to uh, live wherever they want, to work from home. Um, and it's also going to radically change corporate spaces. And by, by spaces, I mean the physical spaces, because you really only have a couple of reasons you get together. You get together because you want collaboration and teaming in person, and that builds well. Um, you do it because you want spaces where people can be focused, squirrel away in an office somewhere and generate a lot of work. Um, and you do it because there's culture continuation. In other words, you want to build culture. You want to have the social environment that we all need as human beings to connect. Well, of those three, the work focus is, is largely irrelevant. We'll have a year of people mostly working from home and they've built their home offices. We have a really nice office here in Dallas and it's a gorgeous space. And I was there this morning and uh, there were two people in the offices. Uh, and by the way, anyone is free to come back at will. There's no requirement for them to work from home. People are all choosing to work from home. We're getting together when there's something to do together. That's going to reinvent office space dramatically. I think I drifted off the, the point a little bit. So let me, <laughs> let me pause and, and recover. Yeah, but you may have drifted off, but I don't think really. I think those are those, those are all interesting, interesting thoughts. You said something earlier, which I want to come back to, um, around random nonlinear uh, connections. And one of the things that I found a little difficult in this environment is those random nonlinear connections, the kind of I don't know, water cooler conversations or the canteen conversations, the coffee by the coffee machine conversations. Is there, are there ways of, of kind of promoting those sorts of random um, connections and sparks in a virtual way? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I see this time as, as building up strong muscles that allow us to be very effective and more effective in one way or another. So one of the comments, I had coffee with, with a team member who who's, lives in, in Denver. He was here in Dallas for, for a project. And um, he said that he is having, and he used to be in our Dallas office, um, he is having more communication with our San Diego office now that he's on Teams in the last couple of months than he's had in years. And so that's the upside all of a sudden, uh, I say geographical separation doesn't matter. And it's not just the physicality of it. It's that everyone's in an equal playing field. So if I call someone in England in a UK office or I call San Diego, or whatever, there's no difference in how I navigate that, that connection. So in that way, it's easier. Here's where it's really hard. And I've heard this from a number of my architectural friends who I, I think are, are you know, a number of really very smart people in that world. And they've said that you better hang on to the clients you have because making new clients right now is very, very hard. Mm -hmm. And initiating a Zoom call with someone you haven't met before still is not muscle memory for anyone except the greatest extrovert. And most people are not extroverts. So we're, we're, we're battling. I am battling. I'm, I'm, you know, maybe articulate and comfortable on the stage, but in essence, I'm an introvert. And so I'm very comfortable in, in my, my home space. So how do I push that envelope? How do I have accidental interactions, accidental conversations 
that are, are uh, or even for that matter, intentional um, accidents, if you will, you know, they call them intentional collisions in office building space design, where you, you, you intentionally create the water cooler at the center so people who wouldn't normally see each other get to see other people. That we haven't figured out. We're doing it in social media, but social media has got such a, boy, I, you know, I certainly hope in 10 to 15 years time, social media will have built more positivity in how its, its trajectory goes. So I don't think that's a good answer at the moment. We have commonality of vision, uh, sorry, commonality of interests. So I'm a racing guy, so I can connect via groups um, digitally very, very well. But I would have a hard time connecting, for example, something which I don't do is shooting shotguns. So I would have a hard time connecting in a digital world to someone who's interested in shotguns, mm -hmm. whereas I could go and watch them and find an opportunity to chat to them. That we haven't figured out. We're going to have to have physical interactions for that. And that's coming. A year from now, hopefully, we will have the possibility of physical interaction to be safe and culturally acceptable, which means then that we go on with the digital muscle that is strong and fluid and the ability to meet in together, which is the best of both worlds. And that's going to, that's going to accelerate the economy, in my view. There's going to be winners and losers, um, which is a separate subject. I'll, I'll pause. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I, I was thinking, though, that... that um... A lot of I've talked to a lot of people who have said, okay, this is really working from home is really efficient. I can get a lot of stuff done. And um, and and I feel that as well. I think I'm working harder. Well, I work from home anyway, but I think with everyone working from home and I, I lead a company based in Toronto from an office in Portland, Oregon. So I suppose I even before this lived that virtual life. But there's a lot of linear um, hard work being done. So in terms of achieving goals that were set before this whole thing happened, I think it's a really effective way of doing it. What I really worry about is where the, the true innovation, those sparks are going to come from. So if all of us are basically... Um, going through the agendas that we had even before this and getting stuff done, there's going to be a time when we've done all of that stuff and we need to have new ideas. And, and that's kind of a worry to me at the moment. And he thought it's a similar. Yeah. Topic, but... Oh, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. No, no, no problem. Go, go ahead. Um, you know, my brain went in about six, six directions with that. I think the, 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 the efficiency and the focus of a home office, which is typically a secluded location with, with no physical interruptions, depending on your family, of course, and maybe a dog or six kids, depending on your, your setting. But for many people, that means the productivity is higher for per hour. There are very good things. For example, one of our team members has uh, three kids and he does every afternoon, he takes an hour or so and he goes bike riding with them in the middle of the day which isn't something he would normally do. And he loves that. And then he just works into the evening. So this, this kind of idea that personal productivity is in, enhanced. Um, and I think that's true. However, we need the human interaction for um, 
for, for, for social engagement as, as, as people, we need that. That's really important mentally, emotionally, uh, creatively. It's very important. So I think we will see, for the most part, a very hybrid set of solutions popping up. Our company, for example, we haven't locked it down yet because we don't need to yet, but we will probably ask people to come into the office three days a week and say, you know, and one of those days will probably be fixed in stone. In our case, we do a lot of production planning and we would like to get everyone there on, on Mondays. The rest of the time, say, so pick your time. We may actually say, come in two days a week. So we want those intentional collisions that we create and we want people to have the benefit of the focus time. Um, I think freedom of choice ultimately is going to be the winner um, at the end of this whole situation. I'll, I'll give you a, I'll, I'll tell the opposite of that. I, um, there is an engineering firm that I'm aware of, and I, I certainly wouldn't mention the name, a well-led company pre-COVID in the sense that uh, respected, uh, the leader is a strong leader um, and, and, and had a very strong support of the staff. Everyone came to the office every day. Uh, COVID comes along um, and they never get the period of time when no one can go into the offices legally. But then at the point when it's allowed, this leader's uh, plan is to require everyone to come back to the office all the time because um, the leader's view was that, that they're not going to be as efficient and he wants to see them there. So this is a control leader mm -hmm. uh, with control popping to the forefront. So people arrive at the offices and they, some of them are very stressed about the safety issue and the health and safety. And um, so they each have individual offices and he starts having conference, conference meetings in the conference room. And a bunch of his team refuse to go to the conference room. So they're zooming in from the office, which is 40 feet away, into the conference room. So they mm -hmm. can have Zoom meetings with people mm -hmm. at 40 feet away. So that kind of systemic dysfunction is going to be prevalent now and to some extent prevalent afterwards because people can't adapt the model to recognize you've got people do not want to be in the building. Why make them be in that darn building? Sure. Um, and, this, and this leader has lost an enormous amount of credibility. People are mad at him. Um, and so, you know, that th those those issues are popping up out of the ground uh, and are highly, more highly visible. So we're going to see a bifurcation of leadership styles come out of this uh, pretty strongly. And one of them is going to win and one's going to lose. It's an interesting example you give. Something I'd heard fr from someone recently that I hadn't even thought about um, is whether you're comfortable working from home, I mean, physically comfortable, kind of depends on almost where you are, your age, your your uh, financial means. Because, for example, for me, I have a relatively large house. So having a room to work from is is not too much of a problem for me. And it's, it's very convenient. Whereas if I'm a, you know, early 20s living with five flatmates in a small um, in, in a small apartment, it's going to be way more difficult to for those five people to do work from home. So what I was hearing was a lot of the junior staff are much keener to come back than the senior staff because the senior staff have the spaces. They're also largely kind of married with children. They have their own little bubble by themselves, whereas a lot of the younger people are either living alone or... or... And so you've got this strange situation where the junior members of staff want to come in, 
senior members of staff are uh, happier staying out, but yet they have to come in in order to to kind of supervise the junior members of staff. Is that something you've you've seen at all? Oh no, absolutely. I mean, both in our both in our company and um, by storyline with 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 friends who who lead companies or involved in uh, in other workplace settings, the you know, I sit right now, our house is on the edge of a stream and I'm looking out at, you know, I've got probably 30 trees right outside my window. That's a very different setting to one of our team members, uh, a young team member, young engineer. And um, he was sharing an apartment uh, with two other young men. Um, and he was going, this is killing me. He said, you know, I get up in the morning, I'm in my bedroom. I put up a sheet as kind of a blue screen look. I work all day and I take the screen down, the, the sheet down, and now... I'm still in my room, <laughs> you know? yeah. Yep. And 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 very understandably, he's going. I did. This is driving me crazy. I just I just can't do that. Whereas I can take a stroll down. You know, we're in a decent sized house, and I can go walk along a road around here. And I do that a couple of days. It's heavily wooded, and it's wonderful. So mm-hmm. certainly, I think I think style. Uh, your your personal preferences plays into that. Your personal temperament. Um, and, and of course, your, your, your situation. So what does that mean? That means is that the successful workplace of the future is going to be flexible uh, to people's needs. And those needs may be um, emotional, as we've just talked about. It may be physical. They don't have a place to go. And it may be team-related. Re- In other words, they, they need to spend some time together at the office to achieve uh, everything for you can actually be very creative on Zoom. I mean, I we're doing most of our all of our design team meetings um, on Zoom, so we're we figured that out. That's that's mm. that's pretty easy. But the social is hard. The other thing that's difficult, what I'm hearing from a number of business leaders, their fear is how do you mentor someone digitally, and so their their concern is that most mentoring, particularly in some disciplines more than others, in the world I live in, which is design, in an awful amount of information has to be culled out of the air, if you will, when you're in a design office. And it's overheard conversations. It's you know these accidental um, interactions that, that occur. So for a young person, if you're mid-50s, I won't say you've got nothing left to learn, but you certainly aren't on the learning curve you are when you're 25 in your industry. And so that's a difficult one. Um, again, I think you then need to move to a high degree of intentionality of what mentoring looks like. It doesn't mean you need to be there five days a week together, but it may mean you need to be there for one one day. Yeah. Let me, yeah. Let me initiate something here um, and kind of shift the, the topic a little bit, and, but it's related. Sure. Because the... We, our past was, if you meet together, you meet together in a room. So as a designer, we, we would regularly, and I mean, I would fly over 100,000 miles a year to go and sit in meeting rooms. Um, so we'd have a client in New York City, and they'd say, I want you to come out for a meeting. Those meetings would typically be an hour and a half, two-hour meeting. I'd get in a plane. I'd fly there the night before. I'd do the meeting. I'd come back, and I'd get back late at night. So for a two-hour meeting, um, I'm, you know, I'm out of town for 30 hours away from home. It's hugely expensive, incredibly tiring, and not at the end of the day very productive. Well, that that has gone away. Then we've got to the other extreme, which is we're going to do everything on Zoom, which is where we are now. 
the post-COVID world allows you to have both now. So then the question is, how do I create a hybrid environment? Um, the current methodology, or I'm going to say current, let me say that pre-COVID methodology of meetings is that if you're in the room, the hierarchy of who's in the room, um, the, the communication hierarchy is that being in the room is far more powerful than not being in the room. And mm -hmm. so if you wanted to get a decision made, if you wanted to lead anything, you had to be in the room. Well, that meant everyone gets on a plane and flies insane distances to go be in a room together. The future world is going to shift that because then what we need to do is create the technology integration and the cultural environment and the meeting methodology that allows someone who is as far, far away to have the same hierarchy and level of engagement and inclusion as the people in the room. That single challenge there is what's in front of the entire AV communications industry is how do you do that, do it well without having five people or six people on a screen at one end of the room in boxes and the rest of the people huddling around a table um, in a way that what they say can't be heard easily. Um, their facial expressions can't be seen. So uh, there are solutions, but we're still coming up on them. Mm -hmm. Do you think, I mean, that's, that's the essence of the problem right there, I think. Um, I like what you say, and I agree with what you say, that you know, two or three days a week in the office um, as needed with some amount of intentional overlap to get the, the teamwork bit done um, is, is a good way of doing things. We also have the situation where particularly as people start coming back and maybe forever if we go to, to that sort of model, as you say, some people will be in the room and some people will not be in the room. And as you say, there's various different challenges there. There's a cultural challenge, certainly. But um, there's a technological challenge, both in terms of software and in terms of bandwidth. Do you think the tools that we have now, that we're using now, the Teams, Zoom, you know, that are, are capable of, of bringing that level of immersion uh, into a meeting? Or are we going to have to invent something entirely new? We're going to have to invent something new. Um, and, the, and the reason for that, and now uh, Zoom is coming up with a couple of these changes, and I think teams will either follow or lead. Um, I think Microsoft uh, had a shock when this whole thing happened and Zoom just suddenly exploded. I mean, Zoom created their own difficulties with security. But sure. but, but as, an org as, as a group, Zoom continues to be the dominant play on many of the things that we do, and teams is playing catch up, but they'll get there. So here's the thing that they can't do is I can't sit at a table um, and have, um, I have, I have these systems where I could take six people around a conference room in person. I could take another six people and put uh, notebook computers with a microphone on them and with a camera. And of course, be able to see someone's face. I could put them interspersed uh, with everyone else around the table. So physically, I can put cameras there. I can put microphones. I can put video. What I can't do is make the software do that where mm -hmm. the, the camera is exclusively to that person on that computer or 
the microphone is exclusive or the loudspeaker. And so we've got directional cues um, to make the communication much more natural. Now, there are ways of doing that, of course, but not with Teams and Zoom. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and that's going to shift because our capacity to put someone at the table is going to be where we get them off the wall and we get them off the wall with the other six people on the call. Mm-hmm. That's, that's going to be the big shift. Then we've got to learn new group dynamics is how yeah. do you dialogue with that? I don't think it's going to be a bandwidth problem. I think this is exclusively a demand problem because what I've just suggested is more expensive than just shoving a screen on the wall and one feeder to it and one camera and one microphone. Mm-hmm. But I'd spend yeah, and the I money. There's an interesting um, problem there that, that, um, that as you were talking, I was thinking about, which is in a meeting, I can turn to look at someone and and focus my attention on one person to convey a point to one person on a zoom call i've got one camera and i've got a a grid of people on my screen and you know looking at that person in the bottom right hand corner of my screen isn't going to convey that attention to that person in the bottom right hand corner of my screen because they don't even know they're there and and the audible cues as well it's it's a really interesting question that one i don't know quite how we're going to achieve that it's it's kind of like a a video matrix i want to to look at just you at the moment and and i'd rather not do that by pressing a load of buttons but but i don't know eye tracking i don't even know any thoughts about how to do that well apparently it's interesting you mentioned that and i'm now going to tread out into the thin ice of my knowledge on the subject based on having read briefly an article last week um, and I and, and I want to say Teams, but I could be wrong about it. Because and I was reading up because they had their big conference last week, so I think it was probably uh, Teams. Mm-hmm. Where coming up later this year is eye tracking, um, mm-hmm. and the capacity to to basically look away from the camera but look like you're looking at the camera. So mm-hmm. that's the fundamental challenge that you're talking about: is the ability that if you're down in the bottom left corner and my eyes look down at you, which is the way you would naturally communicate. I'm not looking at the camera. If I'm looking at the camera, I can't see the nuances you are responsive in your expressions. Mm-hmm. So, so I think we're going to solve that problem, um, not so much with eye tracking, but with, with um, uh, to some extent AI, but really almost an AR-ish kind of yeah. solution. So that's fascinating. I'm going to dig more into that to try and understand it because that's the holy grail, at least with mm-hmm. respect to that. On that note... I want to say I, I do a lot of presentations and I work with a lot of people who do presentations. And it is stunning to me to watch people who are fantastically good in person to do a presentation, to command a room, to silence the room without having to speak loudly, but just by their aura and the presence and the power of how they communicate and their technique is very theatrical. Mm-hmm. Um, and see the same people on the on a Zoom call look like they're a witness protection in the witness protection program. Um, That was the question I was going to ask you. Do those same people that can command a room command a Zoom call? And and what you're saying is probably... Yeah, not at all. I mean, we we saw this pretty early uh, because I was on a a call with someone I have the most enormous respect for. This is someone who has navigated literally billion, multi-billion dollar projects and uh, and led them. And, And I've been in rooms... Where, where this person has, has commanded 40, 50 people without having to say much. He just, you know, the minute he steps forward, everyone just stays silent. And I, I was on a call where the same person had um, the camera 
um, backlit with glass behind him and sunlight. And he was completely blind, uh, black. I mean, you, you couldn't see anything. And, and we were on a call with 40 people. And I'm going, dude, you're, you're lost. You're, you know, <laughs> you, you yep. got to get it. The audio was crummy. His lighting was terrible. And the camera was down, at, you know, below his chin. So I'm looking at his double chin. Um, mm-hmm. So the theater guy in me says, guys, get some lights. It's not expensive. You can buy, you know, I'm sitting in my room here. I've got three LED lights. I put $300 into them. Um, and I've got color correction and, and dimmers. And they're all remote controlled. I mean, this mm-hmm. is not difficult. So the technology guy in me says, we can solve this problem and help you. A lot of people haven't connected the dots yet. But you don't find that with young people, by the way. Uh, I watch my daughter do stuff and, you know, she's got the a little ring for uh, a little ring light for her, her iPhone. But if you, you know, this is, comes back to basic stagecraft. And I've said this to people, if you, if you think you're communicating in the digital world um, when you're in the dark, not looking at the camera uh, with it looking at the underside of your chin, I got, yeah, and you can barely understand you because of the audio is so bad and it's so reverberant, then I, you know, I, I need to warn you, you you're not going to be very successful. It's basically the same. No one goes into a large conference room, finds the darkest corner, takes the chair and faces the wall and thinks they're going to lead the meeting. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really, you know, it struck me as you were talking, there's a huge opportunity for a company to, to really make that easy for people. Cause, cause you can do that because, because you work in this industry and you know where to put the lights and everything. Maybe there's a, a space for an all-in-one box that has a lot of this technology built in, a monitor with built-in lights and a decent quality microphone and um, so that even non-tech people can, can link it in. But I also agree with you. I mean, my daughter's the same. She takes hundreds of pictures of herself for social media. She's absolutely all about what she looks like. And, you know, <laughs> I don't care when I do it. And, and that's not a great position to be in in a virtual world. You know, we, we can't laud ourselves as international uh, AVL uh, design crew and look like, you know, we're again in a witness protection program. Yeah. So we started yeah. everything up at our people's homes. I mean, I got beaten up because we would do, we do these water cooler conversations a couple of times a week. We get everyone in the company together. And if, if you know, one of them is just casual, come if you can. And, and the team started making fun of me. Um, and I realized, you know, just my, my, Everything about my home setting looked bad, so I started amping that up. But we did it at the office. I was on a conference call uh, last week, actually, and it was about 45 people on the call, and it was um, it was part of a, uh, a large organization that I'm engaged with, um, and, 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 and some of the people, they're very, very, very senior. And by far, my video looked the best because we've got professional lighting designers and we kind of cheat the game, I guess. But the guy who was running the program in the middle, you know, texted me privately. He says, what on earth are you using? Is that a fake background? I mean, what are you doing? And our reality is we haven't spent that much. We've got a, you know, we've got a stream deck um, switcher that, that interfaces with Teams and, and um, with, with Zoom so that I can share my screen just with a button rather than having to grab a mouse. So these are a lot of, and that's a $150 product. We can do things far better without spending a lot of money. Um, and we're starting to send equipment lists to people now because they're going, how did you do what you just did? did how much did it cost you? I got a couple of grams, not a big deal. Mm-hmm. 
We're not doing yeah. TV broadcast studios here. Yeah, that's fascinating. Well, we probably ought to move towards the end because we're um, getting on in time here. But do you have any uh, last thoughts you'd like to to talk about before we close it up? Oh, wow. Do I have any? Um, I would say this. Y- yesterday I did, a, I did a webcast and we had, um, I don't know, uh, I think it was nearly 50 people on it and they were each... Uh, actually, the market, I do do quite a bit of work with the SMPs, which is the uh, the AEC Architectural uh, Engineering and Construction Industries Marketing Group. Um, and so I was speaking to them about about strategic planning and specifically scenario mapping for strategic planning. And I asked them three questions before the session, so I could customize for them. And the first one is is give me words. For ninety uh, for twenty twenty, what are the words that you would use to describe? Second question was, what are your areas of uncertainty? Things that you just feel like you don't have a grip on what's what's going on. The third one is, what does success look like for you in twenty twenty two? And it was it was people were very transparent because it was an anonymous <laughs> uh, deal. the The first question, which is, give me your words was a list of, frankly, quite depressing anger, frustration, depressed, um, uh, scared. I mean, there, there was this long list of, of, of words that were highly, highly emotive. So I'm looking at that, and then on the bookend, and of course, all of the uncertainties that we know, on the bookend, I say, what does success look like? And what success looks like, you know, being profitable, being um, growing our business, uh, solidifying our position. And I thought, wow, there is a wild gap between where you are and where you want to be. And any leader who doesn't acknowledge that the vast majority of their team is scared, frustrated, tired, angry, depressed, um, add whatever word you want, and expects that they're going to get to this vision of success, of profitability and growth and industry dominance, is missing the point. The next two years is going to be about people more than it is about technology. I'll leave with that thought. That's a great final thought. Um, so if people want to get in touch with you after this, and I really hope they do, um, what's the best way to get in touch with Idebri and w- with you personally? Well, um, uh, my my uh, certainly via email, is, is I'm fine with that. And it's C- Jansen, C-J-A-N-S-S-E-N at I-D-I-B-R-I dot com, dot com. Um, or just go to the website and, you know, ac- access me through there. I can be uh, accessed through uh, uh, Adibri info or direct. I think my email's on there as well. Um, happy, happy to chat to people and communicate uh, and share wisdom. I, I, I've got the microphone right now. But there's an awful lot of people in the audience who have incredible wisdom to share as well. Mm. Thanks so much, Craig. I uh, I was looking forward to this conversation. It certainly didn't disappoint. I'm certainly looking forward to, to seeing you again and maybe um, driving fast cars with you again, as we did a few years ago. That was a great, fun experience. Yeah, um, I, bought so a, I bought a new race car, so I'm actually going to the racetrack this weekend. So. Oh. I'm envious. I'm envious. <laughs> I bought a Tesla. That was, <laughs> which I'm enjoying. But uh, 
Anyway, thanks so much, Craig. Um, and thank you to everyone for listening. Um, please feel free to listen to other episodes. There are a number of episodes in this series about the future of the workplace. Go back and listen to the first series, if you'd like, on the future of hospitality and retail. Please um, give us suggestions, ratings on the po podcast um, platform that you're listening to this on, Apple, um, Spotify, whatever you're listening to this on. And please feel free to give us reviews and suggestions to who we might talk to. So thank you so much for your time and see you next time.